0: Let's get into it. Uh, Listen to Jesus. Life is more like a river than it is like a lake. Okay, which is why the writer of Hebrews in 2 verse 1 says don't drift. We've uh, read this, but I'm going to read it again. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts that the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So the question here is, what is the writer of Hebrews saying that we need to pay attention to? Well, you know what he's saying to pay attention to? it's saying to pay attention to what Jesus said and what he did. Now we only have to go back to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 to know that Jesus is the final word of God. He's the heir of all things. He made the world. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of God's nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He made purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. He's greater than any other angel. The angels worship him and he's actually the mighty God. That's really interesting, right? Because we had, I was having discussions with someone else, and this person knows who it is. But I was having some discussions with someone else about what I was preaching on this week, and and it's all sweet, right? But they just said, "Are we doing that again? Are we doing Hebrews two verse one again?" And maybe even some of you, when I'm when I'm reading that stuff out that we get out of Hebrews chapter one, you just kind of go, "Yeah, we heard that." All right. Give me something new. Entertain me. Maybe? This is tired. Yeah, I know that. Why are we doing this again? We've already done it. Can't we move on? Which is exactly why the writer of Hebrews says you need to pay closer attention. And when it all comes down to it, I actually think it's the responsibility of preachers to preach in a way that's interesting and that brings truth alive. I'm not going to say it's not the responsibility of preachers to do that, all right? So let me try it again. You know what? You know Jesus is the final word from God. He's the pinnacle of revelation. You know that? There's no higher revelation than Jesus. And it's not like when you get to Jesus... You've just got some dodgy home brand copy. He's not a home brand copy of God. He's the exact representation of God. And you know what? Every single thing in this world, your body right now and the seats that you're sitting on and the carpet and the roof and the grass and the trees, it's all holding together because of his creative word that's happening right at the moment. And he's really kind to you because if he decided by his creative word that you wouldn't hold together anymore, you wouldn't. And he's really gracious to you. So, the fact that you're sitting here and it's marginally warm in this room is his kindness and his grace and his love to you. Do you see that? That's amazing. And you know what? You were absolutely filthy. Stinky, vomitous mass of sin all over you. We looked at that a few weeks ago, and you know what? He wanted to call you to himself. That's what he wants to do. He wants to call you to himself and he wants to clean you and he wants to cover your shame and he wants to remove the vomit and the stink and the vileness of sin and just make you beautiful and fresh and desirable. And you know what? He got it all done. You see, he sat down and God doesn't sit down until everything's done. He doesn't. And you just—you can sit here this morning you can just go, man, that is amazing. Really? It's all done and and you don't have to sit there anymore and you don't have to sit and just go, "Oh, I wonder if there's going to be a sin that uh, he doesn't know about that I'm going to come up with and he's going to change his mind. You don't have to be concerned about him changing his mind because it's done. It's all done. Because he doesn't sit down until it's all done. And there's comfort and there's assurance and there's something solid about that. And you know what? An angel can go and kill thousands tens of thousands of people in one case in the old testament we looked at an angel could kill 150,000 people and you need to know that this god whose creative word is holding you together right now is greater than that angel so when he says uh, wonderfully gracious and loving things to you you can trust him and you know that no one's going to overpower him isn't that good you see the difference See, it's, it's my job to make it interesting. But at the end of the day, uh, John Piper made this comment. It's probably a sin to bore people with God. I agree with him. I reckon it probably is. But I also, I also think, think this. It's actually a sin probably to be bored with God. I mean, the weirdest thing is that you can have the most dull preacher and if you've got someone who's really, really good soil, we're going home with something rich. And I mean, to be honest, I think with the parable of the sower, and I'm not putting this on you because I think the, the perfections and the, uh, the character of God being such as it is means that we need to keep inventing, as Psalm 96 says, we need to keep coming up with new songs to sing. Because nothing that we ever say is actually going to capture it all. So write another one. Say it again. All right? And that's why today we did Hebrews 2 verse 1 last week, and today we're doing Hebrews 2 verse 1 to 4, because we're going to do it again. All right? Because the person who needs to pay attention, according to Hebrews 2, is a person that's already heard it before. And they need to pay attention, because they're not paying attention enough. And so, in a sense... And I hope I'm not doing this in an uncharitable way, but in a sense, I'm putting it on you. We often pray before the service. We pray that God would make our hearts good soil because I think that's the critical thing. In the parable of the sower, the critical thing is not that the seed of the word doesn't go out, but it's where the seed of the word lands. That is the critical thing. Let me test you out again. What if I said to you this morning this? God loves you. You don't have to say, but I wonder how many of you inside are going, yeah, I know. Do you? I'm going to show you a scripture that shows you you don't know. You might know a little bit, but you don't. Now, please, please don't. This this morning is, um, this is not kind of meant to be a beat up, right? In one sense, in another sense it is, right? The way I see this morning is I'm kind of a dude with a stick beating someone who's starving to death and trying to make them eat a banquet. Do you get that? That's, that's what I'm doing today, all right? So if you kind of go, oh, it's to go, you got your stick out again, right? I'm just going, it's like I'm standing at the end of a confectionery aisle and I'm hitting you with a stick and you're starving and saying, look at all that gear, go and get into it. And you are going, no, no, it's bad, I don't want it. I'm the guy with the stick trying to just get the best thing for you. Check this verse out. Ephesians 3:14 to 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, this is Paul, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And this is the big this is the kicker. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses what? <coughs> Knowledge. Right? Do you get what I'm saying? Like if I say to you, God loves you, and you go, Yeah, I know, Paul's going, No, you don't. You don't know. You need to meditate on it. I was just talking with uh, Crowder before the uh, service started and I just saw meditation to me seems to be this weird combination between theological truth and the imagination, isn't it? So you sit down and you kind of put those together and you just think about the way things could be because life gets pretty brutal in this world and sitting down and using your imagination is really critical. I think Paul, somewhere in the New Testament, I think it may be in Ephesians, but don't quote me, he says God can do far beyond what we ask or even imagine. So if you don't imagine when you pray, you're selling God short and you're probably missing out. This takes a bit of imagination here. See, my job and our job when we preach is to preach well. All right, And your job is to pay attention to Jesus. Pay attention to him. That's your job. The weird thing about this is uh, when you actually look at the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is somewhat unique because in the whole of the first chapter of Hebrews, you actually don't. there's no commands and there's no directives anywhere in the whole first chapter. Did you notice that? Maybe you notice it now. There's no commands. There's nothing that you've got to do. There's nothing that you've got to make happen. The very, very first one that you get is to listen and not drift. I mean, seriously, it's it's not even like you've got to go and sacrifice yourself and give 20 grand away to your neighbor. The first thing that the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 2 is just stop drifting and listen. That's that's your directive. Listen. Listen to Jesus. And he says this a couple of other times in uh, Hebrews as well, in chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. So he says, listen to Jesus. Listen to him. And then in uh, chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. What's he saying? Look to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. See, the writer of uh, Hebrews thinks it's amazing. He thinks Jesus is amazing, and he thinks what Jesus says is amazing. And you know, often, as I've said through the uh, intro to this message, we just don't feel that. We don't feel the, the depth of it, the amazingness of it. Let me read you another couple of little scriptures. Like, just think about this. This is John 1. In the beginning was the Word, in the beginning was Jesus. He he didn't get created. He was there. He's just always been there. He's just been there in the beginning. You think about the the earth. The earth was, when it started, he was there. It's not like somehow something just got made, and then he showed up. No, he was there. He's just always been there. And the word was with God. So Jesus was with God. And the word was God. Jesus was God. And then this one. This is the kicker. This is verse 14 of John chapter 1. Think about this. And the Word and Jesus became flesh. I mean, you could just stop there, couldn't you? I mean, we're probably next, the end of this year, we're probably just going to do a whole series leading into Christmas about the incarnation. Like, how the heck do you get infinite, no boundaries, God, into skin? How the heck does that work? And even more, how do you get him into an embryo? I mean, it's... I've probably said it here before, but it's always spun me out, and you just think, "Okay, so if God made wood that we make doors out of, what's the deal with Him becoming a human that has to open a door to walk into a house?" Well, that's weird, don't you think? Is anyone else with me? I think that's weird. I mean, God having a shoe or fly away because it's sticking on His nose or something. You know, and I don't mean to be irreverent, but he was human, wasn't he? he got bitten by mozzies and had to scratch his leg. Look, what's with that? He got dirty, he had that baths. People liked him, so obviously he didn't stink. All right? I mean, that, that's thats weird. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. All right. We're hooking in. I think that there is a corrosive process of poor spiritual memory. I remember hearing years ago, I can't remember who it, who said it, but someone said, the real issue with humans is they've got terrible spiritual memories. And I think it's exactly right. And the process uh, that someone goes through when their memory starts to fail them in a spiritual sense is very corrosive. And this is basically how I think it plays out. What what happens at the start is that we fail to remember God, we fail to remember the things that he's done for us, and we start getting a little bit resourceful. Then we kind of get self-sufficient, and we end up at a place of total kind of independence from God. And what often happens uh, along this process is the further you get along there, the more doubt creeps in about the reality of God and who he is. It's a really interesting mechanism. In fact, if you go right back to um, the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, you can find a really interesting warning from God to the Israelites before they go into the promised land. Here it is, a little bit long, but we'll read through it all. Deuteronomy 8, check this out. It says, Take care... Lest you forget, alright? So God knows this is going to be an issue. Forgetting God and not paying attention to Him is going to be an issue. Lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you've eaten and are full, you know, we can have a show of hands, He's full right now, okay? And have built good houses, most of us living in nice houses, And live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, we haven't got too many farmers, but your herds and flocks are multiplying, yeah? in your bank accounts, okay? Comparative to the rest of the world, even if some of us here don't have much money, your herds and your flocks are multiplying, all right? And your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought you water out of the flinty rock. He fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. I suspect maybe in a Western, this is not even what I'm talking about today, but maybe in a Western culture we think, yeah, i got this. I ain't this. What does God say? Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. He says, you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods, you see the connection between worship and forgetting? And worship them. I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish, like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so that you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. So I'm going to take you on a flying survey over a couple of minutes just to some scripture passages that speak to this directly. Because it's true. We actually do forget God. And I wonder, before I start loading a couple of these scriptures up to have a look at, how would you feel if you were God and people just forgot about you? How do you feel in your own life when people just forget about you? I remember there was a uh, couple of students at school last year that just gave me the hardest time because I didn't know their names. They just gave it to me. All right? Because there's something really personal about knowing someone's name, and relating to them, and calling them by their first name. You can call them mate as much as you like. Now the high school here is getting really big, and the truth is, I don't know all the students' names, and it's, it makes it difficult. And you know, there's just a relational barrier. And uh, you know, don't even get me started about forgetting about my mum's birthday one time, and that's terrible, isn't it? That could the Bible talks about the unforgivable sin. That could be it, couldn't it? Forgetting your mum's birthday. It's bad, isn't it, when you forget stuff? I mean, think about God and the extent that he's gone to uh, for us. Imagine if you were him. Imagine you gave your own son and people just forgot about you. That's pretty hurtful. Judges 3, verse 7 and 8. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord, their God, and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Which is idols. Alright? Here's your worship connection again. I just forgot about God. One Samuel twelve. He brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place, but they forgot the Lord their God. Just forget. Psalm seventy eight eleven. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. It's forgetting. Psalm 106, 13, that they soon forgot his works and did not wait for his counsel. I mean, as we go through this, feel free to do your own little bit of soul searching. Where do you forget God? And this is not, again, this is not like we're going to get all legalistic and put a whole bunch of rules on you and tell you how to not forget God. This is really about, this is like the banquet. When you forget God, you actually end up with something far less than what God wants for you. Psalm 106 verse 21, they forgot God, their Saviour, who had done great things in Egypt, just forgot about him. you getting the vibe here, like Hebrews 2 verse 1 is pretty important. You just better pay attention. Don't forget. Don't forget. Why would you forget your Saviour? The one who saved you. But they did. And we do. So, which is why we need to have another sermon on pay attention. What about this one? Hosea is this beautiful story about how God asked the man Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. Because God wanted Hosea and his wife to live out in front of all the people what it was like for God and his people. Because his people were like a prostitute. They kept turning to other gods all the time. So God said to Hosea, you're going to be my prophet, and I want you to tell them a whole bunch of stuff, but you're going to feel the pain that I feel when my people betray me and go and commit adultery all the time. And so you've got this situation where Hosea's got this wife, and uh, she keeps turning aside to uh, sell herself as a prostitute. And here's a couple of comments out of Hosea. She, God's people, burned offerings to them, The idols, Baal, and adorned herself with her ring and jewellery and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Now you're actually starting to get into a jilted lover. It sounds a bit like a jilted lover, doesn't it? She's going, they just forgot me. I couldn't believe it. You know, this is like a current affair. It's five nights a week almost, isn't it? There's jilted lovers on there just going, what the heck happened here? Everything was really good and she just she left or, or he just left and I don't know what I was doing wrong. And it's almost got that kind of vibe about it with God where he's just going, man, I just did everything for them. I helped them. I did everything. I, I looked after them and, and I cleaned them up and, and when they came back from being a prostitute last time, I cleaned them up and I made them beautiful again and I clothed them with really nice stuff and then they just went away and forgot me again. And again in 13, but when they'd grazed... They became full, they were filled, and their heart was lifted up, therefore they forgot me. This God is a jilted lover. Even more than that, the Bible in other places talks about how we've got a really poor spiritual memory when it comes to our identity in Christ also. This is one that's really hit me over the last week. This is out of Second Peter verse 1. It's a little bit of a long one again, but just hang in. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Not even preaching on this, but Peter's just giving you the secret to how to get out of temptation is that you need to hang on to the promises of God because the promises of God are better than the promises of temptation. We'll keep going. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, quick question. Who nailed all those these weeks? Because Peter's saying, you better have them. You need to have these qualities. now, what he's going to tell you in a sec is he's going to tell you why you don't have them. And this is what he says. For whoever lacks these qualities qualities, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You see that? He's actually saying, that your spiritual memory is the reason why you don't have the qualities that you should have. You've actually forgotten your identity. You've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten who God made you. And the way to recover the qualities that God wants to see abounding in fruitfulness in your life is to recover your identity. And then he goes on to say this. I mean, you look at this, how many times he talks about remembering in this. Therefore, I always intend to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, all right? since I know that the putting off of my body will be seen as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I'll make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to at any time to recall these things. He just said it again. You need to remember which makes what the writer of Hebrews says in 2 verse 1 really critical. He says, pay attention, don't forget. And the writer of Hebrews goes on to say that forgetting God, it's actually infinitely dangerous. Actually, hold on, we'll go through this. Hebrews 2, 2 to 3. Just got myself a bit disoriented there for a sec. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, this is the Old Testament, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You know what he's saying? He's saying, in the Old Testament, the angels delivered the message to the people who wrote it down. You've now had the pinnacle of everything. Jesus, speak to you direct. And he's saying, if you ignore that, if you don't pay attention to that, you're not going to get out of it. You won't escape from it. And then uh, there's a classic couple of verses out of the book of Amos in the Old Testament where the people of, uh, of Israel um, were really excited about this concept called the Day of the Lord because they thought God was going to come in and whack all their enemies, right? Not realizing that they were God's enemy. They were more his enemy than any other nation around them. Alright, and so they're going, bring on the day of the Lord, bring on the day of the Lord, which is where God comes in and brings his judgement. And the irony was, they, that was the last thing that they should be wanting. And this is what, uh, Amos says about the day of the Lord. He says, Why to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. You know, it's almost like a lion's coming and he's running down the street and he's going, he slips into a, a side alley. He's just going, Whew. Then he turns around and there's a bear there. All right? It's one of those movies. All went into a house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. So he's run away from the bear. He gets into his house, slams the door shut, leans against the wall, and then a deadly serpent bites him on the arm. Do you see that? What Amos is really saying is you're not going to get away from it. And see, the salvation that Christ offers to us is not only great because of what he's done to save us, but it's also great because of what it saves us from. Because no one gets away from it. If you don't pay attention, you don't get away from it. You're going to be exactly like the Israelites in Amos. You're not going to get away. And unfortunately, I guess it depends on the perspective that you take, unfortunately what's going to happen is God's going to catch up with people. And we know better than anyone else who's not paying attention right now who doesn't go to church. we know better than the 90% of people in Australia that probably aren't sitting in church today. At heart. It's only the great salvation that saves us. This is Matthew 25, 31 to 41, a couple of verses dropped in the middle. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he'll separate people one from the other as a shepherd. Shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Jesus came once, and he's nice Jesus. And he's kind Jesus, and he's loving Jesus, and he'll never stop being all those things. But I tell you, the one thing we didn't see is judgment from him the first time he came. And he made it really clear, he's going to come back and do the judgment next time. And it's going to be like a shepherd, and he's going to separate, he's going to put the sheep on one side and the goats on the other side. And uh, no one's going to get out of it. And the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Everyone who doesn't pay attention goes to hell. Not because they're worse than us, but just because they're not saved by the great salvation. That Hebrews talks about. And you know what I, one thing I particularly love about this scripture? You know what hell was prepared for? It wasn't like God's up there and he's saying, let's think of some way that we can just make life terrible for these humans that I created. Jesus specifically says there originally, hell's created for, for the devil and his angels. It's just that we've got all these people that are on his team. You you go on his team, you go somewhere that wasn't actually made for you, but you go where the team goes and the team gets punished. I'll come back to that in a minute. Let me ask you this question. Where is the evidence of you paying close attention to Jesus and what he says? You know, when you're in a crowded room and it's loud and you want to listen to someone, what do you do? Well, maybe you move a little bit closer. Maybe you lean in. All right. Maybe when you get older and you start losing your hearing, what do you do? If you want to hear people, you get a hearing aid. You spend money on it because you want to be able to hear people. What about if uh, there's a band that you like? You really like the band. You just want to listen to the band. What do you do? Oh, You might go to the, the concert. You might spend money downloading it on iTunes. You might burn it onto a CD so you can listen to it in the car. You commit time to listening to it. What about if you want to watch the news at night time? Well, you make sure that you got a TV. Maybe you record it. You put some time aside to make sure that you uh, listen to it. What about if you're into novels? All right, my brother-in-law's into John Grisham. All right, it it just it spins me out. You know, one thing. This is just totally off the topic, right? But it spins me out. This this is weird for me. Why people read and watch shows about the occupation that they're in? I don't get that. Have you ever thought that people kind of like, medical people are into medical shows. It's like, that's where you go to work. And my brother-in-law is a solicitor and he reads John Grisham novels, which are all about law cases. I'm just going, what is that? Like, if anyone came up to me and said, do you want to watch a show about teaching? I'd just go, you're kidding? No way. It's like, welcome back, Cotter. I think that's their only option. If you remember that one, these guys over here are going, who the heck's Cotter? Some dude with curly hair. That's all you need to know. All right. But here's the truth, right? If, you want, if there's an author that you like, whether it's J.K. Rowling or whoever it is. Did I just pronounce that right? Rowling? Rowling? No, I don't know. One of them. Well, what do you do? Well, you buy a book. You commit time to it. Maybe you buy a book before you go on a plane or a long trip and you just sit down and you commit time to it. See, there's evidence that you actually want to listen to something. So where's the evidence for you that you want to listen to Jesus? We all want to listen to something. And we make plans for our listening and we buy things and go places and make sure we are not distracted. So how does all this compare to our listening to God's word to us in his son? Are you listening to that? Are you making provisions for that? Are your kitchen and your car and your office and your reading devoted to that? You see, there should be evidence for it. You know, And it's going to come down to things like maybe scripture memory. I know people, I know. I remember I was in a home group in Sydney and uh, this dude, he was just a new Christian, right? He, sits, he sat down and he had this sensational home group kind of leader and this guy sits down and he's just totally innocent. He just goes, seriously, he goes, can I just ask a question? He's going, yeah. He goes, is it like a sin or something to read the Bible in the toilet? <laughs> All right. And the leader goes, no, nah, it's not. But you know what that is? That, that guy's life is being interrupted by his attention to Jesus. That's what it is. So it's even going to, some of you might go, that's really gross. All right? And it might be really gross. Okay? But at some level, he's doing it. And I've heard of other people who are just going, right, I'm just going to put scriptures up on the back of the toilet door. All right? I'm going to try and memorize these things. But it doesn't, don't think the only place you can be spiritual is in the toilet. Right? It can be anywhere. OK, it can be absolutely anywhere. So the scripture memory, what about meditating? What about just putting time aside to meditate on things, combining imagination and theological truth? What about singing worship? How do you, where's the evidence that you're reminding yourself of the promises of God? When do you study it? When do you study it? I said this a while ago, Piper, uh, said in one of his messages, he said, if you, uh, if you rake, you'll get lease, but if you dig, you might get gold. You see, our lives are absolutely just more and more with technology just getting interrupted, aren't they? The email goes off, the text message goes off, we've got to check Facebook, got to put a status update in, because if you do not do three a day, people don't pay attention anymore. All right? You've got to put some questions on there so you can ask for some stuff and generate a bit of uh, attention from people. Well, what about, um, I read an article by Piper a, a little while ago where he just said, well, when the heck does Facebook get interrupted by Bible? When does that happen? Why is, why is Bible and attention to Jesus always the victim? Why doesn't Bible dominate other things? to say, oh man, seriously, I just can't, I'm, I'm not going to be able to get to the voice tonight. I can't get to it, right? Because I'm have got going Bible. I'm paying attention to what Jesus says. Does that ever happen? I mean, it probably should. I mean, seriously, if, if we actually believe what it says in the Bible, you'd be just, it'd be getting interrupted. You just There'd be a text text message, and you've got to send an extended reply, and you get a quarter of the way through, and you're going to go, no, I've got to get to Jesus, so I'm just putting that one aside, and it gets interrupted. You see, we don't even think that way, do we? We just think, that's an, Man, there's a demand there, and I've just got to respond to that demand. It's instant, it demands your attention. Oh, the writer of Hebrews demands your attention for Jesus. So, see this this morning as one 45 minute long alarm of a text message from the writer of Hebrews who's saying, be interrupted in the rest of your life so you can pay attention to Jesus. This is me with a stick telling you to, to eat a banquet. Yeah, that's what it is. Alright? It's not like Jesus is some bad guy, some sadist who's just going to mess with you and just start maiming you and hurting you. He's sensational. He's the best thing for you. There's nothing better for you. And it's a shame, often isn't it, that the biblical writers have to use a stick sometimes and go, Would you just go down there? Would you just sit down and pick up the knife and fork and have a good feed? Instead of being so malnourished and starved and anorexic? And the weird thing is that sometimes what happens to us is we get in this zone where we're just kind of going, oh, now you're getting all legalistic, right? And it's almost like this whole legalistic thing, oh, you're putting rules on us, you're making us memorize scriptures. Are you saying that we've got to sit down every day and read the Bible? Yes. All right? And sometimes when people say that, you're just kind of going, oh, man, like are you saying that that gets me love from God? I'm going, no, but it'll get you love for God. All right, And he'll talk to you and he'll remind you about what his love is and he'll go a lot deeper than you saying, yeah, I know, God loves me. Do you get what I'm saying? You need to be into it, right? And the weird thing is we just go get, get legalistic on me and put rules on me. I'm not putting rules on you, right? I'm hitting you with a stick to tell you to get something good that you don't actually think is that good compared to what it is. See, disciplines serve you. And you need to get some disciplines to serve you, alright? Because I, seriously, if I waited for the inspiration to go and read God's Word, you just need to know that every single time, almost, that I go to the Bible, and I think most humans go to the Bible and go to spend time with God, there's spiritual inertia at the start. It's just a slog to get it up, right? But who knows that often, by the time you get to the end, you're going, "Wow, oh, that was really good. I can't believe it was so hard to get started. So that's where you need to have your disciplines in there because disciplines will help you. Disciplines will help to make the starting easier because I get up every day and I spend time with God and I work on it and I know I'm going to be there and I'm not doing it because I want him to love me more. I'm doing it because he loves me more than what I think at the moment and I don't love him enough. And so I just want to learn how to love him more, and I'm just going to get up every day. And I remember, I used to, man, I used to sleep until like 12 or 1 o'clock in the daytime, piece of cake, right? I used to love it. Because people are go, you miss out on so much of the day, and I'm, I'm having the best time. I'm asleep, all right? It's just great. And then I got to the point, because there's all those really irritating verses, aren't there, in the, script, in, uh, in the Gospels, where it says, and Jesus got up before it was light and went out and prayed, right? And you just kind of go, man, know, just get a nickel on those things. Get those out of there, right? Because they really irritate you, and they irritate your, your conscience. And then you kind of start going, oh, okay, so now I need to do those things so that God will love me, right? And that's where the whole legalism thing just malfunctions, right? You don't do those things so that you get God to love you. You do it because he loves you, he wants to be with you, and he wants you to be with him, all right? One of my sons, about three weeks ago, he just said this to me, this man. It just melt a father's heart, right? I do have a heart for those who are wondering. But he looked up at me. We were outside, and you know what he said? He just goes. He looked up at me, and he's, he's only about this and He goes, "Daddy, he goes, can I just go with you wherever you go? Isn't that beautiful?" And then he goes, "Daddy, I just want to, I just want to help you out as much as I can." And it, he's like that, like it almost seriously. Like, it's beautiful and I love him. But you know, some, he's just so close all the time, it's almost a problem sometimes. <laughs> but you know, that's never a problem for God. See, that's, that, that's what God would have all of you be like. You know, that you get up in the morning at 6.30 in the morning maybe and you'd look up to God and you'd just go, God, can I just go with you wherever you go today? Can we just be together? And you start being together. And then you do stuff together. Alright, now... Licky helps me lots of times around the yard. One day I was getting home from school and I was like, man, there's banging and clanging out the back underneath our pergola out the back. I'm going, what the heck's going on out there? We've got a construction zone out there and someone's almost certainly going to get killed, right, because they're all underage construction workers. And I, I have a look out there and I'm just, what the heck's going on out there? You know what they're doing? They've gone and got the little plastic wheelbarrow and they've gone around to the trailer that's got fire, firewood in it and just, the boys have just decided, no, we're going to fill up the wood box because it's coal and we're using wood. So they fit maybe seven or eight pieces of wood, to- smaller bits of wood in this wheelbarrow and they're just going backwards and forwards filling up the wood box. And when I'm out there doing stuff in the backyard, you know, any dad here who's done stuff with their kids knows it takes you at least twice as long when your kids help, doesn't it? But you know what, at that point it actually isn't about getting the job done. And I don't think it's like that with God. For God, it isn't ultimately about getting the job done. It's ultimately about him doing it with us. Doing it together. Yeah, And he wants to do it with you. But if you don't actually have some disciplines to help to get you in a place where you're with him and you're doing stuff with him and you're keeping in step with him, it's going to be a big problem for you. All right, I'm just about done. The sad, sad thing, in one sense, or the scary thing, is, what, there's maybe 40 or 50 of us here now? There's 100,000 people in Toowoomba. Maybe 10% of Toowoomba's in church today. You know what that means? Theoretically, 90,000 people in the Toowoomba region are not paying attention to Jesus today. You need to feel the weight of that, don't you? Because the writer of Hebrews has said they're not going to escape. If they neglect it and if they don't pay attention, they won't escape. Some of you might be going, Oh, this is it pretty harsh? Is it true? Is Jesus really like this? And sometimes you have that thought, Is this really relevant? Well, I'll tell you, there's nothing more relevant to the 90,000 people who are not paying attention to Jesus, than this, is there? This is relevant. You know, I mean, our culture is pretty much, everything's going, to, going along okay. We haven't had major disasters. Maybe a couple of years ago we had a flood, but the number of people that that affected in terms of their lives was pretty, pretty low. We haven't had a major earthquake. Maybe, I don't know, people in our street over there are just sitting in their houses now. I don't know what they're doing, but they're not paying attention to Jesus. And I'm not critical or judgmental about them. Don't hear me saying that at all. It's just risky, isn't it? It's like walking over a tightrope over a Niagara Falls, you know. They've got their bar, you know, and you're just kind of going, how long are they going to last? How long does Jesus say that it lasts until he comes back? I don't know. But if Jesus doesn't come and sweep them off with his great salvation, we know they're not making it to the other side. We know they fall. How shall we escape? if we neglect such a great salvation. You know, sometimes you can come to church and you can kind of go, eh, it's it's all good because people in church, we're paying attention, maybe. But there's a lot of people that aren't paying attention. And you know, in a human sense, they're, they're lovely people, aren't they? They're good people. They're beautiful people. They're people that God made. They're people that God made in his image. And you know his job, God you know the people that God gave the job to to make sure that people pay attention? He gave it to us. To help people to see. To help people to pay attention to Jesus. i not just get uh, Steve. Steve, if you wouldn't mind coming up. I want to read a, uh, a section of a psalm here. You see, we can end here today and just kind of go, we can focus on on the fact that we haven't been paying attention, but the writer of Hebrews doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to get all morbid about it and just go, oh, really suck at it, you know? He's going, no, that's not what he's on about. He's saying pay attention to Jesus. Don't pay attention to how bad you are at paying attention. Pay attention to Jesus. And you know, the dodgiest salesman is the salesman that doesn't believe in their product. Agreed? And they think it's a terrible product. So, it stands to reason then that the best salesman, the best missional evangelist, the best person to help other people to pay attention to Jesus is someone who's paying attention to Jesus. Agreed? And he's really valuable. Why don't you stand with me? I'm just going to read this uh, psalm, and if you'd be happy to close your eyes and just uh, use that as a tool to help you to meditate. I'm just going to read this. You don't need to read it. This is Psalm 63. Just meditate on this as I read it. Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. Better to have God's steadfast love than to be alive. In your name i lift up my hands. Imagine... halfway through but as I read this next bit imagine how endearing a witness is who has got this kind of vibe my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed remember you Look at that. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. It's like lashings of cream. What do you see? Roast. Roast pork. Legs of pork. What is it? Lashes of fat and rich food. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you've been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. This is the best way to get someone who's not paying attention to Jesus to pay attention to Jesus, isn't it? You can open your eyes now if you'd like. Isn't it? Isn't this the best way to get someone to pay attention? I mean, if they saw all of us walking around like that, saying, This God is just my delight, He is just my soul's delight and I in a non-judgmental non-self-righteous way are spiritually obese from the rich fat food that I get to eat from Jesus I'm just going to sing a song there's this uh, poet who uh, wrote this uh, line he said uh, let your last thanks all be thanks I think that's how you remember let your last thanks all be thanks. It was W.H. Arden said that. So might just pray and then uh, we'll just sing a song of thanks to God for the great salvation and He saved us. But let's not leave out people who aren't paying attention. God, thank you that you pay attention to us. When we're distracted and worshipping other things, you pay attention. And you wake us up. Thank you that you're uh, a good dad, a good loving dad and a tender, understanding saviour because we're all in the same boat on this planet, Lord, and we all need you to uh, focus our attention on the things that are most important. Help us to see again how great you are. I pray for People here, if they don't have good disciplines in place, Lord, I pray that you'd help them to put some good disciplines in place this week. Good serving disciplines to help them to feast on that rich, fat food that you offer, to feast on the banquet of paying attention to you, Jesus.